Today on The Lab Report, we're going to talk heart rate variability. Yeah, Vivek Menon from Elite HRV is here. I love this stuff. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. So we're standing up now? <laughs> Again? Yeah. Good. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How's it going today? It's going great. Thanks. Well, welcome to the Lab Report. Hey, everyone. Thanks for showing up to this show. <laughs> this one's called the Lab Report, and it's a Genova podcast. It is. All things functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and a handful of other things thrown in there. That's right. And if you're new to this podcast and you're hearing it for the first time and you like what you hear, you can go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe, download, yes. rate, review. Yeah. Do all those things. That's yeah. really helpful. It helps us spread the word about this fun little show that That's we're doing right. here. And, you know, sometimes when you're listening to stuff, you're, you're like, I have a question. I wish I could ask this question to somebody who hmm. would be able to answer it. What do you think they should do about that? I think they should put that question down in an email oh. and send it to podcast at gdx.net. What a great idea. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I know. Well, we have a lot of fun things to do today in the podcast. I'm so excited. I know. You really are. Like you're obsessed about certain things and this is one of them. So, well, certain <laughs> things are, are most <laughs> things. Yeah. So I love talking heart rate variability. I find the entire subject fascinating. Mm -hmm. Autonomic balance, biofeedback. This is my bailiwick, man, to oh, use that word, bring that, in the word that you taught me. But all things being equal, not everyone knows about heart rate variability. So I think it's really great that we have Vivek Menon coming on because he can explain what it is and why we should care and why Michael's obsessed with it. Yeah, you may have heard of it. You may have heard, what is this HRV thing? Yeah. And we're going to really lay out in detail what there is to know about it, it's clinical applications. And yeah, just like I said, excited. Yeah. And so I think we should call Vivek and see if he can talk to us about this now. Okay, let's talk to him. Okay. So Patty. Yeah. Today, we have a very special guest. I know. Let me tell you a little bit about Vivek. Vivek Menon is the chief customer officer and co-founder of Elite HRV, creator of the CoreSense heart rate variability finger monitor and free heart rate variability tracking app and associated online courseware. Vivek's experience is at the intersection of health, well-being, and entrepreneurship. He graduated from Dartmouth College with degrees in biology, pre-med, and economics, and began his career in management consulting to help companies solve complex strategic business problems. Prior to working with Elite HRV, he held various leadership roles at Next Stage Medical, a renal care device company that pioneered home dialysis options while empowering patients and caregivers. His primary role at Elite HRV is to ensure the company predicts and meets the needs of consumers and providers to enable health, fitness, and well-being transformations. And with that, just want to say thank you Welcome. so much, Vivek, for, for coming on. Happy to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited about this. And just so you guys know... I forgot to mention this earlier. If if my kids, you hear some noise in the background, <laughs> that's just my kids running around um, having some fun because they have tons of energy. Yeah. <laughs> great, great. That's always like the number one goal is how do we get the energy out of the kids is what I've been finding, <laughs> which is just always an interesting oh. daily struggle. 
Oh, oh my gosh, totally, totally. I, I'm jealous of the energy, I have to say. <laughs> yes. <So. laughs> well, today on the podcast, we're going to focus on heart rate variability. And interestingly, Michael's fairly well trained in heart rate variability. But for those of us who are not, can you kind of just start there? Like, what is heart rate variability? What does it mean? And why should people care about their HRV? Sure. Wow. Okay. That's a great question to start. So heart rate variability at its core is just an insightful biomarker. Mm -hmm. If it's measured accurately and analyzed correctly, and, and that's one of the main challenges with it being more broadly widespread, given how sensitive it is and how accurate it can be as a predictor of human physiology. And I'll kind of get into why that's the case. But heart rate variability is actually, when you look at published research, there's actually tens of thousands of papers across many, many different fields looking at heart rate variability as one of the objective endpoints of whatever it is they're trying to measure in the human body. So part of the reason it's it's well employed in the research is it's it's non-invasive. You know, you're not using blood tests to get it. Mm -hmm. You're not poking somebody. It's immediate. So you're not waiting for a lab to process the results. You can kind of see the results right away. And as I mentioned before, it's pretty sensitive and comprehensive across what's going on in the body. And so the reason it is that is heart rate variability is not actually measuring what's going on in the heart even though it is looking at the heart, it's actually measuring what's going on in your nervous system and specifically mm. your autonomic nervous system. And it, that's not immediately obvious from the term, you know, right, I, right, you kind of right. wish it would be called something <laughs> like your, <laughs> your nervous system checked in or something like that. But it's kind of cool. It, it actually can do this by measuring changes in time between the beats of your heart which isn't a metronome. So it's not like a clock. Your heartbeat, even though it says two people can have the same average heartbeat of 60 beats per minute, but mm -hmm. their heart rate variability can be totally different. One person's could be beating, you know, at like a metronome once every second, mm -hmm. and others could be beating in very, very different patterns. And so that's really what heart rate variability is looking at. But those patterns actually tell us a lot about what's going on with the function of the underlying nervous system, which as you guys know, is, is pretty much connected to all of your major organ systems in the body and is, is involved in controlling and responding to, you know, pretty much everything your mind and body does. Sure. So I can get into a little bit more detail, but that's kind of the, the really brief intro to what it is yeah. in terms of being a comprehensive measurement of your nervous system. Yeah. Cool. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people do just sort of assume that the heart rate, like you were saying, is kind of a metronome and doesn't really, you know, it beats at a consistent pace when in reality, what we're actually wanting is for it to speed up and slow down over the course of something as rapid as a breath cycle. And so that even right at the top, I think is, is kind of novel information for a lot of clinicians. Right. Agreed. Yeah, that's a great point, Michael. So, so specifically, you know, you mentioned your heart speeding up and slowing down in a, in a healthy individual. And, and in fact, in a healthy mammal, it's not just humans that have this built-in physiology, but in a healthy animal, your nervous system should be constantly taking input from everything in your body, your all of your senses, kind of internal parameters as well, and trying to decide at the extremes of, am I in a fight or flight mode because I'm under threat? 
So that's one extreme mm-hmm. all the way through to, am I in total rest and digest mode where I'm kind of prioritizing rebuilding and recovery and regrowth. So there's actually branches of the autonomic nervous system that generally fall into one of those two extremes. And it's not, you know, black or white, mm-hmm. but in a healthy animal, your body and your nervous system should be able to switch between those two extremes, you know, at the snap of a finger. Mm -hmm. And one of the things your body does is part of this switch is tell your heart to beat differently. So in a healthy individual who's just, let's say you've just woken up, you're at rest, there's no tiger stalking you or anything like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you're in that rest and digest mode, your heart beat should be changing almost from beat to beat because you're taking in all this input from your respiration patterns, your breathing patterns, your digestive state, what you're seeing and feeling around you. And as a result of that, what we want to see at rest is really nice variability in between your heartbeats, Mm -hmm. a high heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. But what happens though, is when you're in a fight or flight state, right? When you're trying to escape from the tiger that's chasing you down, this is like a very, very primal state of being your heart is no longer beating variably. It's actually beating more like that metronome and typically at an increased heart rate, but your body and your nervous system has decided, oh crap, I need to shuffle my blood to my skeletal muscles, into my vision. I need to down-regulate digestion, sexual function, certain parts of the brain, and I need to prepare to either run or battle this threat. And as part of that, your heart generally starts to beat a certain way as well. And so I'm oversimplifying the patterns, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of how you can tell by looking at somebody's heart rate variability, what is your underlying nervous system telling them? How is it reacting? And you can actually derive interesting insight into maybe what's causing the nervous system to be behaving (laughs) that way. Yeah. And, and that goes into, you know, inflammation and stress level and all of these other underlying factors that drive some of that, um, that nervous system activity. Right. Wow. And, you know, you mentioned briefly earlier that kind of one of the issues or one of the tricky bits is getting accurate assessment, getting accurate measurement. And so I assume that kind of relates into the development of the core sense monitor and your elite elite HRV app and why monitoring this over time can be a little bit tricky. And can you talk a little bit about what makes the core sense monitor and the elite HRV app a little bit unique with respect to that? Sure, sure. So a little bit of background. Heart rate variability is very powerful, but to your point, it's it's really complicated to decipher these patterns. And it started out kind of in these in the cardiology world with electrophysiologists. They were they were trying to look at heartbeat patterns to see if they could predict when a patient would crash Mm -hmm. in the hospital. And they were able to do some of this stuff and create some research around it. And the research has been out there for a long time. But part of the problem was you have to have some really, you have to have two, two things. One is you need really accurate sensing because what we're talking about when we say pattern is thousands of a second difference Mm -hmm. in the time between heartbeats. Mm -hmm. So you need a really accurate sensor. And for a long time, it was, you could only do this with high-end ECG, EKG type sensors, where you've got all these five leads attached to somebody's body measuring electrical impulses in the heart. So that was one requirement that was made it really hard to do outside the, the hospital or the medical facility. The second requirement is the statistics are pretty complicated Mm -hmm. because you have to first clean up the data and then apply these statistical models. 
and they used to you used to need stats experts to do that. But luckily now with smartphones and some pretty innovative software and and lots of data, you could actually do it on a phone. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where we've we noticed the opportunity. And that's what the app does. It's free, but it actually has all the statistical computational elements built in. It also has the signal cleaning elements built in. So when somebody's doing it at home and it's not perfect at home, we can clean the noise so that you avoid the garbage in, garbage out problem. And then the CoreSense, which is basically a proprietary heart rate sensor that sits on your finger like a pulse oximeter, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is our version of a highly accurate device that can still be used at home, you know, is affordable and easy enough to use at home. So you don't need a technician to work the device, but captures those thousands of a second differences in the pulse that you need for heart rate variability. And, you know, as, as sensor technology gets better, we'll stay on top of that. But our hope is that it becomes more and more accessible for more and more people, whether it's providers, physicians, therapists, or even consumers to be able to use heart rate variability as another insight into whatever it is they're trying to do for their goal. Great. Well, in that same vein, when using this app to monitor this over time and patients are wanting to optimize their health, how can a person improve this? Like, can you train the autonomic nervous system? Yeah, good question. So short answer is yes. And so this is, there's basically two ways you can use heart rate variability. The first is, and this is what most of our users do. We have about a half million users now, and we've learned a lot from how they've used heart rate variability. And they're actually coming to us with some unique insights that we take to heart. But the first most common way people use heart rate variability is because it's very sensitive to the state of stress, stress load in your body and the state of your inflammatory condition. When, when you start measuring yourself on a consistent basis, say you're, you're looking at your heart rate variability score over the course of, you know, several months or even just a couple of weeks, and you're looking at it every couple of days, mm -hmm. you can start to see very quickly where you're going. So let's say you're an athlete and you want to train and you really want to optimize your training. So you're not training too much, but you're not training too little. This is a great tool for you to use to ensure that you're recovered between your training sessions so that you know exactly how much to train on any given day. Because your recovery is kind of a function of your the stress you've put onto yourself from your workouts and other things you're doing in your life. Same thing if your goal is around health and well-being. If you're doing let's say you're enacting some sort of lifestyle change, you're bringing on a meditation practice, you're changing your diet, you're doing something different. By measuring your heart rate variability on a consistent basis, you can actually see if what you're doing is working or not. In general, if your heart rate variability at rest is improving when you're taking that consistent reading, mm -hmm. means you're going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. If it's going down, so a great example I'll give is this is not surprising for anyone, but several years ago when my second daughter was born, I did a self-experiment just to see what was happening to my heart rate variability. And boy, did it tank, as I could tell. <laughs> right. But I could see exactly what happens to it when my sleep was interrupted and what happens over time. And I was very surprised at how sometimes I would feel like, oh, you know what? I had a good night's sleep. I actually feel pretty good. But when I looked at my heart rate variability compared to where I was, you know, three months ago, I was much, much worse off 
in a much more kind of inflammatory state than then. And so you can derive information that way as well by measuring it over time. The second way, which is really interesting to us, and we're focusing on understanding this better and making it more accessible, is using heart rate variability to actually train your nervous system, Mm -hmm. almost like you train a muscle. There are nerves within your body. The most well-researched is the vagus nerve. It's one of the largest nerves in your body. It's actually connected to most of your organ systems. It's got two-way connections to most of your organ systems. It's one of the most important elements of the nervous system when we talk about the rest and digest state Mm -hmm. that your body needs to be in to be healthy for the long term. And oftentimes what happens with chronic inflammation and chronic stress is the ability of your vagus nerve to control the function of those organs and to control when and how much to control inflammation starts to erode over time. So basically your vagus nerve function starts to get worse and worse over time. So you think about it as a kid, it was so easy to, I don't know, have, have a bout of really a really stressful situation and then recover really quickly from that and kind of forget about it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder for adults to do that in many cases. And you harbor chronic stress, you harbor the impact of that stress, and it's harder to kind of let it go when you're trying to sleep or to do other things. One of the things you can do with heart rate variability is actually go back and start training that vagus nerve, looking at heart rate variability in those training sessions. It's called heart rate variability biofeedback. Right. And that actually over time, now we're, we're not talking happening in one treatment or so, but over time actually starts to rebuild the function of the vagus nerve so that you actually get more resilient to stress in the future. And so when people talk about deep breathing, right, Mm -hmm. that's kind of people talk about that a lot, structured deep breathing. Why does it work? Well, one of the elements that people think, researchers think it works is actually by training your vagus nerve, you're actually improving your body's ability to control the inflammatory processes in your body. And so that's why over time, as people adopt, whether it's meditation or mindfulness or deep breathing or whatever else, there's this kind of longer term benefit to stress and resilience to stress. And so that's, a, that's the second way you can use something like heart rate variability to really tackle health and well-being. Right. Great. Yeah. And we personally have done quite a bit of that type of training for people in clinical practice. And would you say that kind of the main biomarker, the main metric that is of critical importance is the increasing of the heart rate variability? Like that's going to be the main biomarker that tells you about increased resilience and adaptivity of the autonomic nervous system? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think, you know, there are other biomarkers that could do that. I think the problem is it's hard to find ones that are non-invasive and inexpensive and, you know, quick to deliver feedback in the moment. Yeah. Because you could always look at cytokine levels and inflammatory marker levels and some of these other things as well. You could even probably look at blood pressure over time and, and see that these things improve with, with, with this kind of clinical intervention. But in our experience and in looking at the research, which in this arena is actually growing pretty fast. We see a lot of really strong use cases for heart rate variability because you can actually literally look at it in the middle of the breathing session. You know, you can Mm -hmm. actually look at it and see, hey, is this heart rate variability trending in the right direction or not as they're breathing? Yeah. In some cases, early on, as they're trying to figure out what the right breathing pacing is, 
it can actually trend the wrong way. And so that gives you some good feedback into, well, maybe, you know, this person's a little bit smaller than average. The breathing pace that we have set up for them is, mm, you know, yeah. too long. And so it's actually too hard for them to yeah. exhale for that long and to inhale yeah. for that long. And so you can start to do some of those things to make the treatment a little bit, individualize it a little bit faster. Right. So, yeah. So I guess we're biased. No, no question. Um, we, <laughs> yeah. we live this stuff, but we know it's very helpful. Let's put it that way. Awesome. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's so powerful as a clinical tool is that patients can see right in front of them how their right. their action is triggering a change in their physiology and to see you know normally when you kind of hook them up right at first the heart rate variability looks a little sporadic just in general and then you work them through one of these exercises and then it, it slowly starts to improve and it creates this very visual understanding of of how what they're doing and how their breathing relates directly to their physiology it's pretty powerful yeah, that's totally, that's absolutely right. Sometimes that that's the magic of biofeedback, I guess, right? Is is when you see it in real time, there are things that you do yourself that maybe are hard to explain or hard for somebody else to explain, but it really tries to kind of, it, it makes it so much easier to learn the right way to do it. Yeah. So, so absolutely. Yeah. So as long as you have the right technology and the right kind of guidance in using heart rate variability, it's absolutely right. That's a great way to use it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned athletes. I was a little curious about this and how from an optimization and performance optimization standpoint, people are often using heart rate variability. What is it about this technology or how do you apply this technology when you're trying to optimize athletic performance? How is that different? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's funny. It's I think most of us are athletes in one way or another. Very few of us are professional or lucky enough for, you know, strong enough to be professional at it. But I think the fundamental use case for HRV in training, let's call it performance training, is around understanding your recovery state. Because what we like to tell people is you might train for mm, several hours a week. Maybe if you're on the higher end, it's a little bit longer than that. But then you're recovering for hundreds of hours a week, yeah. right? And so your your performance on the field or, or whatever sport or race of choice is not just a function of how well you train, but also how well you recover. And so what we have learned is HRV is a great tracking tool for understanding the state of your recovery. And based on the state of your recovery, you can really dial into how much you train. So I'll, I'll give you an example, right? So every time you train, it's by nature a stressful event. So if you're, if you're training for, let's say you're training for a marathon, by nature, your training is pretty stressful because you're logging a ton of miles, you're logging some damage to your muscles, but perhaps more importantly, damage to your ligaments and connective tissue as, as part of these long runs. And that's why the training kind of generally builds up over time so that you're not injuring yourself along the way. But guess what? That's part of it, right? So knowing how much to train is part of it. Mm -hmm. But an amateur athlete training for a marathon also has a ton of other things going on in their life besides the actual training. They have kids that might keep them up at night. They have work stresses. They might have jet lag and travel. They might have, you know, diet stuff that they're unaware of or perhaps are trying to, you know, figure out as part of this. Right. All of these things combine together to impact that recovery equation. And so if by this in this example, if that marathoner is monitoring their heart rate variability each morning, they can kind of see 
they don't necessarily have to know what it is that might be impacting their recovery. It, it could be that the run was a little bit harder than expected the day before, or it could be that they ate something that may have triggered some sort of mild sensitivity. It could be that they had a pretty tough, stressful day at work. It could be that they've just traveled and had a circadian rhythm disruption, whatever it is. And they take their HRV in the morning and their HRV score at rest is lower than maybe even what they feel objectively or subjectively, then they might decide that they need to dial back their training for that day in mm -hmm. part of the marathon preparation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And by doing so, they might actually avoid injury or might avoid a little bit of the overdoing it factor that happens to a lot of us if we're committed to training and, and kind of passionate about it. Right. And what we're doing there is when we add the training stress, we're preventing that stress to turning into the bad kind of stress that's beyond our body's ability to cope with it and adapt to it in a positive way. So whether it's, you know, endurance training or high intensity interval type training, whether it's strength and power, HRV is a great measure of recovery status. So you can kind of dial in that training and you don't necessarily need to know what exactly it is that's in impacting recovery. You don't need to be under full control of your diet and sleep and stress and all this other stuff, but it'll still help you at least dial in on the training part of it. And then what we found is as people get more and more familiar with heart rate variability, they start to go, they may have come in interested in it for their training, but they start to use it to experiment on other aspects of their lifestyle too. So they start to learn where else they can go to improve their HRV and to improve their performance. That's great. And, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about athletes who don't spend enough time in parasympathetic state. So that's actually really interesting. But the other question I have is mm -hmm. not only in athletes, can you use this in other things? Like, does it help to improve cognition or memory or any neurodegenerative type processes? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So there is a lot of research where people have looked at heart rate variability and is that correlated? Is that in any way associated with mental performance and also mental health? So cognitive health, I should say. Mm -hmm. And in general, the answer is yes. In the way I would think about it is in general, a healthier body tends to tends to also be a healthier mind, right? Mm -hmm. And so inflammation elsewhere in the body tends to also manifest as inflammation in the brain. Some people call Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes in certain cases. And, and there's, mm. there's kind of neurodegenerative conditions that are tied to inflammation in the body. And so because HRV is a great measure of inflammation, it can also be a good indicator of improvement or decline from a mental standpoint. Mm -hmm. We actually have studies linking HRV also to better decision-making and willpower and hmm. things like discipline. Yeah. So things that are more like mental performance oriented. And what's interesting is, you know, we've been contacted and we've chatted with folks that are stock traders who use HRV to, <laughs> to literally to check in and see if they should be making tr big trades on a certain what? day. And they won't. They, yeah, they won't if their HRV is lower because huh, <laughs> they're cool. afraid their, their decision-making is yeah. impacted by it. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We've got, you know, CEOs and kind of hard charging individuals using HRV to monitor kind of their as a tool to help them make sure they stay on top of their game mentally. Yeah. A lot of the kind of first responder and military community also are, are looking into HRV to kind of understand how well their soldiers and teams will perform under pressure, particularly. 
So they're interested in things like what's the impact of shift hours and combat fatigue on the soldier's health and and using HRV is one of the things to look at it. We mentioned breathing earlier. Mm -hmm. So tactical breathing training. So like snipers and special forces individuals using tactical breathing training is is a way of actually using biofeedback to build strength and resilience under pressure. And so folks are looking at HRV as one of the tools to make that training more effective, so to speak. Right. But there's no reason, there's no reason, you know, we could use that kind of information and knowledge to train ourselves too, if it's something a little bit less at stake than, you know, what the military does, but like it's going into an important meeting. Wouldn't it be cool if we could fire up a tool to build a little resilience so that when we go into that meeting or we make that speech, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one right. of the, the biggest fears everyone has is public speaking, right. that we feel like we can perform better. That's so awesome. Yeah. So it's really interesting. On the cognition and neurodegeneration, the research is still fairly new. I think the field is very important and is there's a lot of funding and a lot of activity there and we're monitoring it. But I would be interested over time to see specifically how how closely it ends up being tied to some of these neurodegenerative conditions. We think it's it's pretty closely tied. It's fascinating. Yeah, that is fascinating. Wow. And you mentioned how closely associated and tied it is. It seems to sort of overall systemic inflammation. And that kind of gets me a little bit to this question of, have you seen this technology be used and applied in issues of pain management or to try and reduce pain intensity? Is that correlated as well? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is, completely organically. We didn't market this or anything like that. We ended up being contacted by people that suffer from ME or CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that there's actually quite a large community of folks that are dealing with this pretty difficult condition that use heart rate variability as a tool to manage it. And when we first heard about this, we were, you know, we were really curious. Our first, first reaction is, oh, what do you do with HRV to do this? And it it turns out that they were using that kind of consistent morning HRV check-in to help predict times when flare-ups could occur. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah. the pain flare-ups could occur. Huh. And we went back and looked at some of the research and it's been a little while, so not completely up to speed with the latest here, but a lot of times these flare-ups are tied to some sort of stress load that passes some kind of personal threshold. Mm-hmm. And it's totally individual. There's no reference for it or anything like that. And a lot of times that stress is causing inflammation in the body. And when that reaches a certain point, it, it results in the flare up. And so folks were using heart rate variability to try to look at that morning stress level, right? And yeah. then see if this would be a day to perhaps be really wary of taking on additional stress, whether it's exercise or other ways that are in their control. So in that sense, they were looking at it from a pain standpoint. We do have some therapists that try to see if their intervention for pain management is working by looking at heart rate variability and specifically just trying to see if it's toning down that sympathetic system activation, Mm -hmm. right? And so trying to bring them back from the I'm in pain, I'm kind of in that fight or flight response into more of a parasympathetic state. And so typically that's that can be seen in certain ways with heart rate variability and certain markers of heart rate variability. We have, this is not just physical pain, but trauma as well. And so we've heard from psychosocial therapists of various kinds that they use heart rate variability as part of anything from meditation sessions to these more kind of, we're hearing some pretty cool virtual reality type therapies where 
you get people immersed in a calming environment and they're looking at what's happening to heart rate variability before and after to see if it's making an impact in the person's PTSD type pain, yeah. so wow. to speak. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me back in clinical practice, one of the things that we used to do commonly was to try to get somebody into more of that state where they have a really nice looking heart rate variability, you know, whether that's through breath work training, and then introduce a stressor have them talk mm-hmm. about a particular event and see if they can have a discussion, talk about that event and maintain their heart rate variability. And that's kind of like wow. yeah, that's getting sweet. them to train a little bit around practicing. Cause a lot of times people can even feel when their heart rate variability starts to increase, they can feel that physically in their body. Like a tool through therapy mm-hmm. kind of Michael's what you're talking about. Like, yeah. That's interesting. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense because you should be able to see when somebody is, you know, when you start to get that kind of anxious, tense, tense kind of feel, you should be able to see that pretty clearly in heart rate variability in the moment. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because what's going on is your heart stops doing what's called respiratory sinus arrhythmia. Yep. So in a state of calm, your heartbeat should increase when you breathe in and hold and then decrease when you breathe out and hold. Mm-hmm. And so you should see this wave, gentle wave, ocean-like pattern of heartbeat going up and down in this very organized way. But when you start to have these other fight or flight type inputs from other parts of your body, your mind, that gentle wave gets disrupted. So to your point, Michael, you could see that you should be able to see that right away in the pattern of heart rate variability as you're telling somebody to suddenly think about like, (laughs) you know, think about that presentation you need to give tomorrow (laughs) to your your boss or whatever it is. You can see it even with simple things like that. Yeah, so, exactly. Really interesting. Yeah. And, and funny, sometimes we would be looking at that, as you were saying, kind of that, that sinus, that wave pattern. Right. And then it would all of a sudden look a little bit more disordered, chaotic. And the question would be, what did you just think of? <laughs> right. Right. And, <laughs> right. And you get them to pinpoint how their brain essentially I, can rotely go back to wow. a particular stressor. That's a really good yeah. application there, Michael. I like that. You know, what's cool is, and, and I don't know, I'm not that familiar with this, but we've, we've heard of a good example there is we've heard of therapists that work with kids. And oftentimes it's really, really hard to have children who have experienced some sort of trauma to verbalize what that trauma is, or if they are, you know, how, how bad it is for them. And by doing something like this and doing exactly what you suggest, Michael, where you're kind of just asking questions, you can actually kind of quickly try to pinpoint where some of that trauma is coming from. Wow. And so anything we can do to help in these situations is really great. And, and as the research improves, we're pretty confident that there'll be more standard practices that could be employed for things like this, yeah. using heart rate variability. Well, in that vein, I know it sounds as if the literature is rapidly evolving here. Does Elite HRV work with independent researchers for publication? Is that something you all do? Yes, we do. We do, actually. We, we actually actively work with researchers. We've got probably over 70 different institutions so far that have used us. We don't actually typically ask them to validate and publish on the accuracy of our own technology. Most of them do anyway as part of the project. You know, they, they test to make sure that it works compared to, say, that ECG or EKG or even just a generally accepted chest strap type measurement, at least when we're talking about the sensor. Mm-hmm. But what we do like to do with a lot of these institutions is one is help understand what it is that they're trying to do and mm-hmm. where heart rate variability fits in as an endpoint and then learn from their findings. So we can actually try to see if there's elements of that 
new research that we should be considering as we build out our technology. The biofeedback is a great example. So we've had a lot of institutions use our technology to do biofeedback, mainly because it's easier to do in the home setting mm -hmm. than with the other technology. And so with some of their feedback, we've been able to tailor our algorithms to deliver better in the moment HRV biofeedback, right? Mm -hmm. And so describing exactly what's going on with HRV live in the middle of a session, the better you can do that, the better that session goes, right? right. And so, right. so we do do some of that, but we also actively, just as a company, we like to work with researchers and to help them achieve their goals. Great. Yeah. So hopefully that answered the question. Yes, but yeah. there's a lot that's being learned. And if you look at PubMed and you look at the reporting around heart rate variability and how many papers each year contain heart rate variability, that that, that number is growing exponentially oh, sure. over the years. Yeah. It is amazing. And the clinical <laughs> applications right. broadening and broadening. I've seen them even with dermatological conditions oh, with you know decreases in eczema, psoriasis. So it's, as you were saying, that how the nervous system is intertwined with just about every organ, right. organ system. It's amazing right. how far reaching the yes, application yes, is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, we don't have much familiarity on the dermatological side, but when you mention it, it makes sense to me if right. flare-ups are a result of some kind of inflammation. Maybe it's diet or stress or, or whatever else it is, but it would make sense to me that heart rate variability might have a, a place in that kind of practice. So, yeah, yeah very cool. And you guys also have a podcast at Elite HRV. You have the Elite HRV podcast. You want to talk a little bit about what kind of information people can expect when they tune into that that podcast and some of the different topics that you guys obviously probably discuss a lot of the details around HRV, but what can people expect from that podcast? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That's that's great. We do have a podcast. We've had one for a couple of years now. The podcast is pretty broad. We We essentially cover... We try to uncover new or practical information on most of the stuff that, you know, the three of us have talked about, mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah. Our mission is generally to elevate health, well-being, and performance, whether, whether it's mental performance or athletic performance. And our guests generally are somewhere in that realm, and they're either on the front end of the research side or at the front end of the practical application side, whether it's from a clinical standpoint where you're trying to heal or cure, or whether it's from a performance standpoint where you're trying to improve and empirically just help people get better at it. Generally, it almost always, which is really funny, it kind of always comes down to whether your goal is the well-being and health or whether it's fitness and performance, mm -hmm. it still always falls back to what is your goal how committed are you to it? And then in general, if you hit these four pillars, you'll generally make progress, whether it's illness or fitness. Mm -hmm. And those four pillars tend to be what's, what's your exercise and movement practice, right? Are you sitting at a desk or are you actually being active and moving? What's your mental and societal stress? Everything from the stress other people bring to you versus the stress of not having enough social connections and community and, and all that. What's your nutrition like and are you feeding yourselves appropriately and perhaps more importantly are you putting things in that might be reacting wrongly with you when it comes to inflammation yeah and then what's your the fourth pillar is what's your sleep and circadian rhythm and exposure to sunlight at the right times and not exposure to blue light at the wrong times and literally almost every guest we've had it kind of comes down to some expertise or some kind of unique insight into those four pillars that really makes a big difference in the goals and typically 
heart rate variability is pretty sensitive to, to changes in all of these habits. And so it can generally be helpful for achieving those goals. And to be honest, many of our guests are actually not so familiar with heart rate variability and we love having them on because it helps connect the dots for us and our audience yeah. as well. Great. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, based on all that feedback that you get from customers and all of this independent research and some of your guests, what new innovations can we expect from your team there at Elite HRV? Sure. So I can tell you right now, one of the biggest opportunities for HRV is helping people interpret it. And mm. HRV essentially spits out a number. And that number can mean many different things depending on what your goals are. So if, if the number that you get for an HRV score, it will mean something different for someone who's sedentary, looking to get a little bit healthier than it is for someone who's a hard charging CEO or athlete that wants to you know optimize your training. Right. And so those are the things we're working at is we've learned so much around how to interpret that number in a very personalized way mm -hmm. that kind of only comes from collecting millions and millions of readings from, from right. a user base. Yeah. So that's some of the innovation that we, we're going to be putting out. You, I mentioned before, there's these really interesting research applications that are coming out in the literature, whether it's breathing biofeedback but also better and clear understanding of how HRV changes with things like caffeine intake or alcohol intake or types of mm. diets and things that people generally want to do and would love objective feedback on. Am I doing this right or wrong? Right. And so we're going to build some more interpretive guidance to help people do some of those experiments. And so they're not trying to figure out what that number means for like, okay, am I how much caffeine can I have or how many, right. <laughs> what's the right amount of coffee for me? <laughs> right. <laughs> kind, right. Of, kind of thing that, so there'll be a lot of new kind of innovations on that side as well. And we're really excited about it because our, our whole focus has always been deeply rooted in the research and the accuracy and credibility of it mm -hmm. versus pushing the boundaries a little bit. So good news for us is that that field is growing so fast that there's going to be so much more we can do with this as we also get more accurate with the hardware and the software as well. That's great. Yeah, great, great. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I had an additional question that is kind of not related oh, to boy. Here we go. heart rate variability. <laughs> we tend to ask a little bit of an off question at the end of each interview. And so hopefully you'll bear with us <laughs> with this particular question. <laughs> Poor Vivek. Um, I can sure try. <laughs> <laughs> so my question today is actually, we talk a lot about health nutrition and you mentioned one of the, the four pillars around making sure you're kind of adequately nourishing yourself. Do you have a particular vegetable that is your favorite oh, vegetable? Boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know what? I, I am kind of weird in that I, I enjoy a lot of vegetables. <laughs> I, oh, that's such a tough question. Um, <laughs> Let's see. So I'm biased because we just had this last night, but I am a big fan of roasted Brussels sprouts yeah. with Yay. some like, you know, some like nice vinaigrette on it to, you know, make it a little bit sweet. That's an awesome one. Yeah. Mm. You yeah. get a little bit of the, the crunchy out exterior to the Brussels sprout Brussels, where you get a couple of those flakes that fall off and they're kind of oh, like yes. chip-like. That's, that's my favorite. Exactly. Right on. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's crunchy on the outside. It's a little right. bit sweet, but it's got the like nuttiness <laughs> and then it's nice on the inside. And oh yeah, our, we've actually been able to get our kids to eat them, which has been really shocking. So okay, that, that, is, that is a feat. That is a feat. <laughs> I didn't even eat them until I was an yeah. adult. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> 
But Vivek, this has been so interesting and fascinating to me. I just want to thank you for coming on and encourage all of our listeners to go to EliteHRV.com, check out some of the offerings they have there for the Elite Academy. Also check out Vivek's podcast, the Elite HRV podcast. And we just want to thank you for all the work you're doing and for coming on with us today. Yeah, it's been a, a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. Happy to be on. Really enjoyed our chat. And yeah, if, if as your audience comes and checks us out, if there's any questions, they can always contact us as well at support at EliteHRV.com. But otherwise, you guys are doing great things as well. And I really appreciate being on the show. Thanks, awesome. Vivek. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. How'd you like that, Patty? I learned so much, but I still have more questions. I know. We're going to have to come back to this, I think. Like, so a high heart rate variability is good. So sinus arrhythmia is good. Yes. At rest. Yeah. And when you're doing this sort of heart rate variability training, yeah, you're looking for an increase in the heart rate variability, which is what's commonly called sinus arrhythmia. Yeah. yeah I'm obsessed with this now. I have to get one of these monitors. Yeah, you should. I mean, you definitely should. And we can we can test it out. We can see who's got the better heart rate variability. Ooh. It's a competition. <laughs> I'll win. Probably. <laughs> okay, disclaim, Patty. Disclaim. <laughs> the contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Well done. Thanks. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about the ketogenic diet with Rachel Gregory. Yeah, we're going to learn how to become metabolically flexible. Metflex and chill. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Seems like this room is slowly transforming into some sort of carnival playground. <laughs> I'm a Libra. My surroundings have to be peaceful and beautiful. Is that what this is? Yeah. Hmm. And I've only just begun. Youch.